Hi, welcome to 90 Beat Series 1, Episode 4, The Middle Years, where I talk about how I have proof that sometimes hoarding stuff and letting it gather dust is worth it, because you do get to use it eventually. So I'll talk a little bit about some of the gigs and activities that I did um, as my family kind of grew when I had time, and um, some excellent events and good times that I had. And obviously I'll play some good tracks, so uh, here we go, Enjoy. relationships there is a stereotype about one of the partners in a relationship uh, hoarding something maybe keeping hold of something particularly from the youth but hoarding it and carrying it with them and it gathers dust gathering dust is a is a common phrase um and you know there's certainly some examples in in my relationship with my wife that i could say that she holds on to things that we don't use <laughs> but this podcast is about me so my thing was my decks and my vinyl. For many years, we moved house. We, we were renters uh, for most of the time. Well, all the time we've been together, we, we rented. And we moved house for different reasons quite regularly. Um, so we, we've gone through many, many houses. But since uni um, and then moving to Brighton first and then meeting my, my future wife and then us starting to move house as a family as we grew and, and changed, I continued to take my decks with me. And, and boxes of vinyl, probably four crates or, or boxes of vinyl, not massive, but big enough. And I put them in different places. Sometimes they're in the loft, just kind of away. But mostly I try and have them out so that there was a vague chance of using them. So they might be in, in the loft, but out, laid out, ready, you know. Uh, might be in the shed. In some places I think I use the shed. Uh, in one house we had a type of study, so they were in there or conservatories, they were in conservatories. <laughs> so, and I did use them occasionally, but it was very much holding on to them because, you know, the desire to, to continue to, to use them and to have a future that involved, you know, the decks and listening to vinyl music and maybe doing something with them. Um, so I have been vindicated in that because like having a stash of wood, which you then are very pleased after some years, you finally get to use some of the wood that you've kept for years. I have used my takes. They have been useful and the vinyl. And uh, one of those was my wedding. So um, part of what I want to talk through is, is how I managed to uh, you know, uh, find avenues and, and ways and events to, to do some type of DJing uh, in, in my later life uh, after all that unique activity. And one of them was very much my wedding. It would probably be fair to my wife and our marriage to uh, do a whole episode about a wedding, but let's try and summarise and focus on the DJing part of the story. So so uh, we decided to do a small legal ceremony and then have a big wedding party at our house. Our house was very handy because it was the summer and we had a massive garden, a very small kind of cottage that we were renting, but a massive garden. And we were very lucky with the weather. It ended up being a fantastic day. Um, and we had a lot of people that came and joined in the party, basically. And we had it a bit like a festival. So we, the idea was to have like a hog roast and to have like straw bales to sit on and to have a bonfire in the evening and stuff like that. And it was, it was cool, it worked really well. Um, very happy memories. Um, we had a marquee, that was kind of bad weather planning partly, but it also allowed us to have a band, like two guys that basically came and did, did covers and stuff and they were really cool. And then uh, I w- had always wanted to DJ at my own wedding. <laughs> and thankfully my wife agreed and so I was able to do it. And so um, shout out to Chris, who was one of my best men. I had four best men. Uh, it was a bit of a trend in our friendship group. Shout out to Chris. One of his responsibilities was to prepare a table with decks 
been plugged in or ready, kind of ready to go, so that when the band finished, we could walk this table into the marquee while they were kind of clearing out their, their, their stuff and be ready to go within a few minutes kind of thing. Uh, and we did it and it was great, it was a good laugh. Um, it worked, um, some downsides to it. I don't know if downsides is the right word, but there were some challenges where it was very, very cold where, where we lived and, and after about nine o'clock at night, the temperature really dropped. So we, we had a fire, that was the whole point of having a bonfire, but it did mean that the marquee was already freezing. So for that reason, people didn't really want to sit around like my mum or something shout out to my mum my mum but uh, I don't think she came to the marquee to to you know listen to my tunes or dance particularly but um but apart from that I remember Elle and Re and so when they had the opportunity to reminisce a little bit with my DJing then they uh, enthusiastically danced at this very very cold marquee late at night um the other thing was it didn't really have a proper PA um, the band had had a PA but I didn't have anything back then so I just had a couple of speakers I think I borrowed some from Reese or somebody and had mine and part of what happened was the, um, the bass on some of the track, I was trying to obviously make it loud to enjoy it. And I was a bit drunk at this stage of my wedding. So with the volume plus the slightly amateur setup, one of the speakers actually fell off the shelf, um, wherever it was uh, balanced and it landed on my laptop, which I had you know, next to me because I had a playlist on it. Um, I don't think I was playing music from it back then. It wasn't really a thing back then, but I think I had, had it as a playlist. Um, <laughs> and the the speaker, you know, completely destroyed the screen of the laptop. And uh, unfortunately, this was a work laptop given to me by the company I was working for at the time, a very large American um, credit card company that that you know tends to expressly pay things. Um, and so I had explaining to do after the the wedding to my boss, my manager, to sort of explain that this laptop had been damaged and it was a bit tricky because you're really not supposed to have work laptops at any kind of event like that. <laughs> So he helped me to come up with a story that, uh, of how it you know, accidentally got damaged while I was working from home sort of thing. So that was quite appreciated, but it was quite a funny part of it. But anyway, you know, I'm very proud of having, being able to DJ at my wedding. is a Bollywood night. It was being arranged by my sister as part of a PTA group and my sister knew of my DJing past, hi Sal, and she asked if I was in, be interested in helping them out. So um, I said, yeah, of course. And the format of the night was it was a meal that was uh, provided for by a really nice Indian restaurant in the local village. And they had, I don't know, like a hundred parents from the school came and had, had this meal. And it was in this hall, like a big village hall thing. And I was able to set up on stage. And the idea was that after the food, I'd do some kind of, you know, set. So um, it was a beautiful setup. You know, they made a lot of effort in decorating this this thing, this hall. And I had a few drapes and fairy lights and stuff that I made. So there's a couple of pictures on Instagram. If you look at at Brit Emendi Selector, there is um, some photos. And... Um, yeah, so there was. So I, I wanted to really sort of, you know, deliver a good night for them, and so I contacted a friend of mine, Steve. Hi, Steve. Who I asked for his advice because he's a bit of a muso, and I said I need some extra tracks because I don't really have any music from the the kind of current times. This was about 2010, roughly, um, and uh, you know I had all my music from uni, but I didn't have any music, and I wasn't really listening to music at that time. 
um, music sort of uh, left my life mostly. So um, uh, he gave me some suggestions. It was like some Taylor Swift and some um, dance music of the day. Um, but, you know, a bit parents, stuff that he knew that like mumsy types <laughs> um, of preschool and, and primary school age children were listening to. So that was quite good. So I built a bit of a set and had a bit of a plan um, to sort of play a few of those, certainly to start things off and then and then go back to my more normal set and hope for the best, <laughs> basically. Um, and um, But I did go through a process of like choosing which records were definitely out and which ones would probably be okay. So I had bit of a plan for the night and I thought I'd start uh, the night with the track that is um, Punjabi MC um, Ode to Something I'll have to look it up um, but it's the known as the Night Rider theme tune to a lot of us and it's kind of got a bo- Bollywood feel to it obviously so um, I thought I'd start with that to have the sounds kind of right and it, it, they, they were going to play some you know Bollywood music in the background during the mill and then I'd start with that. And then I went in with the undercover hippie track that's uh, very um, striking and beautiful vocals. But it is sort of a bit of a end of the night track. So, you know, I wasn't sure if it was going to work, but, it, you know, it kind of worked OK. Uh, two, two of the funny things about the Bollywood night. One was that um, I got quite good engagement from the people. People weren't really dancing that much. Um, they were really full from a very big curry, I think. So that was part of a problem, sort of floor in the night. But it was a great setup. And this, the one guy particularly, I remember, that came up to me and he was really interested in the soul and funk that I was playing and asked me for more Northern Soul. And it's sort of a, not something I've really educated myself on. I've read a bit and watched a few documentaries, but I've not really got into Northern Soul as a set of music, really. And I haven't really got much to offer. So that, I felt a bit bad that I didn't have much that I could offer him. I think I vaguely recall some mums asking for some Taylor Swift or S Club or something. So I, I think I refused that um, <laughs> politely. But um, I know this is slightly before Spotify and data plans had come out. So there wasn't really much chance of me connecting to YouTube or Spotify to play any old thing, which becomes more of a feature later, as you might hear um, in later gigs. Um, but um, yeah, and so the other funny thing then was really good. So I talked in a previous episode about a lot of my gigs at uni and they were very controlled in terms of security and stewards. This was a bunch of drunk PTA mums and dads. And um, basically, you know, the the idea was to play until, say, 11.30 or something because we had to be out of the hall by 12. Um, So I got to 11.30, played my usual end of the night track and, you know, faded out the music ready to stop. And sort of waited and, and nothing was happening. No stewards were or people, you know, the, the organisers weren't interested in doing anything because they were chatting. They were like still drinking their um, Prosecco. And it became quite apparent that nothing was going to happen and nobody was interested in tidying up, certainly not in hurrying out people or getting cracking with putting the chairs away or anything. So it was like a completely different vibe to what I was used to. So I was like, well, all right, I'll play a couple more tracks then. So... Uh, I played a few more and then and then still nothing was happening. Nobody was tidying. Maybe somebody made a half-hearted effort to get get a bin bag. Um, and so I thought, well, I'm going to push the boundaries a bit. So that's when I started to play a few more lively tracks. I think in terms of lively tracks I got away with, I was able to play a Fatalist, probably um, to become, no, to become one. No, that's an S Club track. The Fatalist one that's like that. Um, and... Um, then I think I got a Prodigy in, and then I know I got to play the Adele High Contrast drum and bass track that I really love. It's been a big feature of my summer this year. Most times, actually, it's worked really well. It's a great track. Um, 
and I played it. And I, I remember there were three mum types in front of me with bottle of Prosecco in hand. I think they each had a bottle of Prosecco in hand, but they seemed to like it. Whereas another group really didn't seem to like it at all and told me to you know go back to Jim James Brown or something. <laughs> so anyway, it was quite quite nice to sort of cheekily sneak in a couple of slightly more raucous, noisy tracks um, just for the hell of it. It was quite funny. All this time, ground, uh, I'd only really used a stereo, you know, my stereo in my room kind of thing. Um, when I had done a gig like the Bollywood one I just talked about um, in the previous section, uh, I'd plugged into the speakers in the hall kind of thing. Um, but it, there came a point when I needed to buy some more kit at last, which was very exciting. So uh, my friend Tori, shout out to Tori, uh, Jason's wife, hi Jace, um, invited me to play at her 40th. I, can't, I think she asked me to do a playlist and I said, oh, can I DJ properly, like with vinyl and stuff? And she said yes. So um, we then sort of started to think about, okay, but how are we actually going to play music? She was having a 40th party in a bar in Sheffield, like a cafe bar restaurant thing. And you know, I think it became pretty apparent that they, although they had a sound system, you know, it wasn't, we probably could use it, but it, it suddenly presented an opportunity that I could go and buy a nice big fat loudspeaker. I didn't spend a lot, just just a hundred pounds something on Amazon, um, but I bought this speaker PA, which is still with me, and I've been using this summer uh, recently as well. But uh, it was quite exciting to buy something that was quite loud, plug it in at home, and, and see it, and see how loud and how, how good the bass was, and it was very exciting. So so this next um, gig to talk about was Tori's fortieth. Um, I'm sure she won't mind me uh, mentioning her age. Um, she's pretty happy about that kind of stuff, uh, and it was although it was a few years ago. <laughs> um, but yeah, Tori's 40th at a bar in Sheffield. So um, uh, I, I excitedly loaded up my car with my vinyl, my decks and the speaker. And um, I had a bit of a plan. I was going to use two different mobile devices with... Um, but this was slightly before Spotify. It was a couple of years ago. Spotify really hadn't taken off yet. And so I had a different app which you could download music on. I think it was a friend of mine, Chris, that I mentioned before from uni. He he had a music server, basically. He'd, he'd burnt a load of CDs, and they were available on a server, which meant I could download them to my phone. So I had two phones with certain tracks on them, which I didn't have on vinyl. Some that I did, actually, because I, you know, I didn't know... Sometimes you don't quite know how it's going to work out between having things on decks and having things on phones or CDs or whatever. And, yeah, that was the plan. So I went up to this bar... Um, got set up um you know at the earlier part while they were sort of setting up tables and balloons and things and uh, got set up and uh, it was a lovely setup there's a photo on instagram if you look at at brit Amendi selector i recently shared a post with a few photos of of uh, me at my wedding me at the bollywood event and here me at sheffield this bar and uh, it was quite a cool setup it was quite nice and um so things got underway there was about 40 people i think maybe i guess um mostly of the sort of 90s generation 90s noughties generation so um it was quite an easy crowd to please i would say um just playing lots of kind of funk and prodigy and a bit of drummer bass and a bit of this and a bit of that it was pretty easy to please them so it went down pretty well i had some of my best friends were there um in in the group so that was really nice and um it you know it looked quite good i think personally from from having like vinyl and decks and and this big speaker on the table we could have probably done with a second speaker just for when you know it was really getting enthusiastic with a bit of drum and bass uh but it was pretty adequate this speaker 
I think it's 130 watts um, PA speaker thing. And um, yeah, it was it was good fun. Great gig. Um, I had a bottle of Prosecco kind of flowing all the way through the sort of two, two hours or so. And, um, you know, that meant I was nicely merry and a good night was had by all. So uh, great way of celebrating. And, and basically it kind of opened me up to the potential market for 40th birthday parties because it kind of showed to me there's a whole generation of people hitting their 40th who love the music that I've got um, from late 90s, early, early noughties. And that it could be a good potential to sort of be a DJ available for house parties and, you know, low-key bar parties. So I did some flyers um, and um, it was a bit of a business vision that I had, but it uh, didn't really kind of pan out in that way, unfortunately. Um, I think I probably could have put more effort into it, maybe. But um, anyway, great party. Sheffield rocked that night. We went out for an after party to, what's it called? Um, Leadmill, Sheffield Leadmill, the classic venue, but they have an indie night. So we went off to a night afterwards, and uh, yeah, great, great, great night. I was really pleased. I got good compliments on, on my set and stuff, and um, great fun. The only slight problem that night was that I dropped my wallet outside the lead mill and travelled back south um, the next day and didn't have my wallet. So I didn't have any cards, debit or credit cards or anything like that for quite a few days until we managed to get it back from the lead mill. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, good night at Sheffield. A main specific memory of the Sheffield gig is related to something I haven't really talked about yet in the previous episodes, which is to what extent the crowd comes and interacts and talks to you or and or particularly requests something. There was one gig, um, which I didn't mention, which was from uni. After I left uni, I actually went back to play an end-of-year ball for our college, and it was a real nightmare because the, the year that year was just totally interested in cheese, didn't really want to hear anything that I had. And so kept asking for like Kylie and you know steps or whatever, so that was a bit of a nightmare. Um, luckily, I had Paul with me then, who fended them off and said he'd play gym songs if they weren't careful. Um, but in terms of the Sheffield gig, um, one of the other specific problem when you're doing stuff with your friends is that if your friends ask for something, then you you know how do you handle it? You know because if it's their party, you kind of yeah um, you play it because of their party. And this in this case, it was. Tory's boyfriend, my best friend Jace, who um, who asked, well, he kind of complained when I played a reggae song, and I deliberately played a reggae song like some DJs um, I've enjoyed do. They sort of drop in one to sort of let everyone just get a bit of breath and just kind of you know vibe a little bit on a bit of reggae. Jason complained, saying, "Oh no, you're killing the dance floor." I'm like, Jace, you don't know anything about DJing and choosing music and crowds and parties. So I deliberately got on the mic and announced to everybody that Jason had complained, therefore I was stopping the track that everyone was enjoying and moving on to some James Brown. Um, so uh, here you go, here's some James Brown. One, one thing I, I would highlight, I've got a James Brown mega mix on vinyl, which I got, and it's amazing. It works really, really well. It's a good kind of montage of James Brown songs put together. It makes it seem like I'm really talented at mixing tracks together, but in fact it's already like pre-mixed. But um, in terms of Spotify here and now, uh, here's a James Brown track for you. That's it, that was episode four, thanks for listening. Uh, in this episode we talked a little bit about some of the gigs I did in the middle kind of part of the timeline. Um, so um, I hope you enjoyed that, it was a bit of a 90s and noughties reminiscence. And there was almost you know, a brilliant business idea about being house party DJ for 40th birthdays, but um, time and circumstances and didn't quite manage to uh, you know, do that. Maybe 50ths, maybe, maybe in a few years time I could do the same thing, but for 50ths just feel like we'll all be a little bit too old in the 50th whereas the 40th is the new 30th isn't it I think okay anyway you can get in touch if you want anchor.fm 
anchor.fm forward slash 90 beats uh, and there is a playlist that accompanies this episode as well at tinyurl.com forward slash 90 beats s1e4 series one episode four if you're already on spotify you may find the playlist quite easily just by looking for 90 beats s1e4 um, I don't know how easy it is. I haven't searched for it, but I believe that's a quick way of getting to it. But the tiny URL will get you there anyway. And also, if you look on Instagram for at Brit Amendi Selector, Selector is O R, um, then you'll see some photos on a recent uh, post I've done, which has got a couple of photos of the wedding, the Bollywood, and the 40th in Sheffield. Uh, great to hear from you and enjoy the music. Take it easy. See you next time. <laughs>